Hello and welcome to H2Tech Talk, the podcast series from H2Tech, the Hydrogen Technology Journal from Gulf Energy Information. My name is Sumedha Sharma and I'm the technical editor for H2Tech and your host for H2Tech Talk today. This week we are speaking with Ravil Afzal, CEO at Next Hydrogen. Mr. Afzal brings his unique capital markets expertise with a focus on sustainability to the hydrogen industry. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to stay updated with the new and upcoming technologies in the hydrogen sector and to hear expert views from this industry by subscribing and sharing the H2Tech Talk podcast through the subscribe link on iTunes or Blueberry. Let's welcome our guest. Welcome to H2Tech Talk Reveal. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you so much, Sumeda, for having me on your podcast. The pleasure is ours. Uh, to begin with, can you please tell our audience a little bit more about Next Hydrogen and about your role here? Yes, so Next Hydrogen is a publicly listed company trading on Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol, uh, Toronto Stock Exchange Venture Exchange uh, under the symbol NXH. Uh, uh, the company was founded in 2008 by pioneers in the water electrolysis space. Previously, they had been building electrolyzers for Stuart Energy. Uh, and then for hydrogenics. Uh, and in 2008, they co-founded uh, Next Hydrogen. The purpose for Next Hydrogen uh, is to come up with a unique electrolyzer design so that it integrates better with renewable energy resources, resulting in the lowest levelized cost of hydrogen. We have 38 patents on our unique cell design architecture in order to better integrate with renewable energy resources. Excellent. Thank you for that great introduction. I see that you do talk about your technology as a very evolved one. So can you tell us what, how is your electrolysis technology different and what are the inherent advantages? Yes. So as you know, alka there's, there's two low temperature uh, electrolyzers, alkaline electrolyzers and PEM electrolyzers. First came alkaline electrolyzers and they have been around since 1930s. Uh, very, very robust electrolyzers but they are basically made for steady operations, base load op operations. So steady electric current coming in, low operating produ points, producing a set amount of hydrogen that's used in a downstream process. And then over time, people start thinking, how can we use electrolysis for green hy hydrogen production? Because electrolysis is the only way to produce green hydrogen. And they saw the inherent challenges with the dynamic uh, response of alkaline electrolyzers. So the focus turned from alkaline cell materials to PEM cell materials. And now we have PEM electrolyzers uh, that can operate at much higher operating points, by which I mean current densities, uh, better dynamic response. But then there's, with, with, any new, uh, with any technology, there's a drawbacks and the drawbacks over there are uh, that they last, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a short time period, for example, last about 60,000 hours versus alkaline lasting about 90,000 hours. And then, of course, they use rare metals, which means you'll always you can see price volatility like we, what we have seen with Iridium recently. So our team members, our co-founders, because they had been building electrolyzers, both PEM and alkaline for such a long period of time, they said, is there a way that we can use, get the best of both worlds? So get the cost advantage and durability of alkaline electrolyzers, yet be able to deliver the dynamic response uh, that you get with PEM electrolyzers. So that has been the focus for us since 2008. How we achieved that was by bringing the first revolution in cell design architecture since 1950s to my knowledge. 
And so while others have focused on the cell materials, liken them to an engine of a car, we decided to focus, focus on the body of the car. And our unique cell design architecture, what's, what's, what's interesting about it is that we are separating fluids and gases right on top of the cell plates. If you look at a traditional alkaline electrolyzer design, fluids and gases are generated inside the stack. They leave the stack, they're separated in external tanks, and then the electrolyte is sent back the length of the electrolyzer stack to replenish the cells so that the reaction can keep happening. What we are doing differently is we have internal miniaturized gas liquid separators right on top of each half cell plate. So what that does is when you can separate fluids and gases right on top of the uh, cell plate, you uh, unbottleneck uh, uh, the, uh, the fluid flow, gas flow inside the stack. That is, a, uh, that is what our focus is. Because when you think about traditional electrolyzers, because of the way they are designed, if you try to pass too much current through them, you can start getting choke points, fluid gas flow choke points inside the stack. You try to make them too big, you start getting choke points. Uh, also because of how fluids and gases flow through the system, through the stack, to external gas liquid separators coming back in, the dynamic response is not very good. So with our unique uh, internalized fluid gas flow separation, what we have been able to show is number one, much superior current densities. So about one amp per centimeter square, versus traditional alkaline electrolyzers that are about 0.5 uh, amps per centimeter square. And this is a very important point. If you look at all electrolysis companies, they'll say number one, technologically speaking, what they're focused, focused on is approaching higher and higher current densities. Why? Because more current density means you're producing more hydrogen using less materials. And what we've been able to show through a unique cell design architecture is uh, you know, about two times higher current density. So that should give us a significant cost advantage as we, as we move forward. Secondly, because of how our fluid gas flow separation works, our dynamic response is about 5% per second, which is roughly comparable with uh, PEM electrolyzers, which can be about 10% per second. So we're giving you the type of dynamic response using PEM, but using much more cheaper durable alkaline cells. And the final point being that because once again on, on fluid gas flow separation, because our fluid gas flow separation remains exactly the same at each half cell plate level, we can uh, make the systems very, very big. Think about like a loaf of bread, adding, adding more uh, pieces to it. We can make these systems very, very big. And so that results in uh, uh, economies of scale. So together, high current density operations resulting in less material use, dynamic response allowing you to better capture the renewable energy resource and inherent scalability resulting in economies of scale. It's a very powerful technological combination to reduce the cost of these electrolyzers. Certainly, I agree that uh, targeting the uh, ramping up time, which has been a traditional challenge with alkaline electrolysis is, uh, uh, is, is, is a very important part of uh, improving alkaline electrolysis technology in general. But uh, how, how do you think you compare with uh, something like anion exchange membrane electrolyzers, which are also, like you said, in the very outset that you're bringing the advantages of both alkaline and PEM to the world through your, so how do you compare with AEM? I think it's a really good point that you brought up. I'm very excited about the developments that we are seeing on the AEM side. Uh, it's still under commercialization, so to speak. So, you know, we are certainly looking very closely at that market. And the way to think about us is that we create the body of the car. We are cell agnostic. So you can put an alkaline cell in there, uh, a PEM cell in it. In fact, an AEM cell is relatively easier to integrate than even a PEM cell. And by the way, we have patterns on both alkaline and PEM. So we are looking very closely at that uh, uh, development as it comes through. We think we are going to 
definitely be able to uh, leverage that in our future designs. Okay, so that makes me really curious. Do you uh, partner or do you have your own in-house R&D team? Yes, we certainly have our own uh, in-house R&D team with uh, a lot of depth in water electrolysis. Mm -hmm. But uh, when it comes to cell materials, cell components, we want to partner up with best-in-class cell materials, cell providers, so that we can continue. They can continue to bring their innovations into the marketplace, and we make sure that, given our unique cell design architecture, we can maximize the efficiency of those cell materials, cell components. So definitely, partnership is the way to go for us. Absolutely. That makes sense. I mean, in the present uh, global economy scenario, I would say partnering to achieve the milestones, both technological both and economical, is really important. Um, and, I, and I like that focus. So how strong is your focus on R&D? Are you planning to launch new products? Yes. So uh, uh, we are looking to enter large volume commercial sales in 2023. So working our way backward, R&D and product engineering is certainly a core focus, but also supply chain, because you, know, you need to make sure you have a diversified supply chain in order to enter large volume commercial sales. So all of that is our focus right now. What we're doing in 2022 is five demonstrations. We have already four lined up, three with uh, a flagship customer here in Canada. Uh, they have distribution centers and gas stations. Uh, 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 it's called Canadian Tire. We have three demonstrations planned with them at the distribution centers uh, where they are using fuel cell forklifts uh, for motive applications. So we have uh, three demonstrations with them, a proof of concept demonstration with Hyundai and Kia, and we are looking to uh, announce our fifth demonstration sometime this year as well. And then 2023, we are hoping to commercialize uh, our one to three megawatt product line. That is the beginning for us. We have very IP rich and uh, with our recent cash infusion, we think uh, we can not just bring a one, two, three megawatt product line uh, with the highest current density, uh, 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 the highest current density alkaline electrolyzers to our knowledge to the marketplace, but then also some of the biggest alkaline electrolyzers into the marketplace in the following years. So we are targeting about three, six, nine megawatt stacks uh, coming out of us subsequent to our one, two, three megawatt product line. Great. Uh, you just mentioned something about. Uh you design the body of the electrolyzer, right? And you can make it bigger as per the um, customizable requirements are. But does that mean that you are stacking up more cells inside or are you uh, increasing the capacity of each cell? I'm just generally curious. It, it's, it's a very good question. Yes, we are uh, looking to increase the size of the structure plates. Okay. So by so basically the stack that you'll see are two megawatt stack versus a six megawatt stack in length. It's going to be roughly the same, slightly bigger, but roughly the same, but it'll be slightly taller. So uh, the size of the structure plates, uh, the height of the structure plates is going to go up slightly. Mm -hmm. So are you also diversifying into deployment? You mentioned something about refueling uh, partnerships. Are you diversifying to... Uh, engage in commercial plants and uh, or are you delivering standalone hydrogen generators? Yes. So uh, we believe we are an equipment manufacturer. Uh, we manufacture electrolysis equipment. So our focus at this and with this market opportunity in itself seems so humongous for us 
it appears that we'll have about 150 gigawatts of electrolyzers installed by 2030. This number was 100 gigawatts uh, just six months ago. So given how big the market opportunity is for us, uh, our focus right now is manufacturing best-in-class, highly reliable, durable uh, electrolyzers into the marketplace. Our one to three megawatt product line is more catered towards transportation applications and behind the customer applications. So like what we are doing in the distribution center market and looking to what, look, what we are looking to do with Hyundai and Kia, uh, which is focusing the heavy mobility side, where we go after that is with the three, six, nine megawatt systems, they'll be much better suited towards uh, large scale deployment on the industrial side. So think ammonia, cement, steel industries that cannot be electrified and need, need large systems uh, for us. Our, our strategy is manufacture best in class in equipment and then have st strong go-to market partners, be it those that can either help scale us up, bring a large mark, bring a large market to us, or be our go-to market partners in uh, different markets, execution partners in different markets. And you're seeing that already. For example, with Canadian Tire, you know they have about 300 gas stations and 14, 15 distribution centers over here. So they're like the Walmart over here. Uh, and in Canada, and then uh, with what we're doing with Hyundai and Kia. So uh, we, we are certainly hoping that we can bring more execution partners and more strategic partners uh, in different areas, such as EPCs, uh, industrial gas companies, uh, uh, to partner up with us because this is a global opportunity and also a global threat that we all need to work, collaborate together to deal with. Absolutely. So uh, you already gave uh, qu quite a bit of a background on where your electrolyzers are in general applied. Uh, can you shed a little bit light on um, what your present target markets are in terms of region, region-wise, and uh, how do you envisage this is changing over the coming few years? Yes, uh, we certainly think it's a global opportunity and our intention is to be a leading uh, electrolysis equipment provider globally but you have to start at home uh, where we have a competitive edge. So we're starting off in Canada. Our next three deployments are in Canada as uh, 2022 deployments are in Canada. We want to expand into the US, uh, but certainly we are getting pulled from very interesting markets globally. And as we get our, a strong footprint established in our core market, we are planning to expand uh, globally. In terms of applications, uh, our focus right now is on transportation applications. And then we want to also look at industrial applications, do demonstrations in the industrial application, like what we're talking about, ammonia, cement, steel, those types of applications. Great. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit more about what kind of new projects are you going to be involved in? And uh, what kind of uh, new partnerships that we can see you making, uh, especially in the core hydrogen industry? Yes. So. Uh, because we are a public company, uh, it's difficult for us to give too much color ahead of those announcements that, that, that will come out of us. But what I would say is that the opportunities in the transportation side are quite significant. We see uh, green hydrogen approaching cost parity with diesel this decade, and that's a big statement. And, uh, so, uh, uh, and transportation has so many different facets to it, different uh, niches where you can uh, focus on. Certainly looking to do that. Uh, certainly looking to have partnerships on the industrial side. Uh, there are some humongous industries that are uh, that cannot be electrified and are awaiting solutions like what we can offer to decarbonize those industries. And then, of course, uh, 
you want strong execution partners. Eventually, to do these large-scale deployments, 100 megawatts, 300 megawatt deployments, you need EPC partners, you need industrial gas companies. So we're looking at all different avenues uh, where we can play a role to quickly and cost-effectively decarbonize uh, our economy. Great, uh, definitely. Hydrogen is the way to go, we know, but what do you think is next for green hydrogen? What would the future applications be? So this is my thinking. Uh, what's exciting about green hydrogen is that 80% of the cost is renewable electricity pricing, and that cost continues to plummet. So green hydrogen only becomes more and more cost-effective over time. So when I put on my cost parity lens, this is what I see. I see transportation applications where you're competing with diesel, getting increasingly decarbonized. I'm not talking about light vehicles, I'm talking about heavy duty applications and forklift market. I think that's where we start off over here. Then we are going to slowly but surely expand deeper into the industrial market. It's already being used, but I'm talking about the scale being increased, right? Like we have $120 billion worth of hydrogen sales into using gray hydrogen into these markets. Uh, so I see industrial market really uh, uh, adopting green, green hydrogen going forward. And the three core industries for us, uh, as I mentioned, were steel, uh, uh, ammonia, cement. And then over time, what we see is uh, green hydrogen being blended into natural gas pipelines. And if you look at electric grid, you know, you're seeing 5% up to 40, 50% renewable content onto these grids. But when you look at the natural gas uh, pipelines, you hardly have any renewable content on those pipelines. And there's a risk that they become stranded assets over time. So I think you, there'll be an increasing push to uh, uh, green these pipelines. And that's where hydrogen can also be used longer term to, uh, to decarbonize the pipe, natural gas pipelines and ensure they don't become stranded over time. I'm not sure how that really works in terms of uh, green credits or carbon credits. Uh, it might work, but how 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 do you really make natural gas pipeline green by blending hydrogen into it? What's your, uh, what's you, your opinion? You mean technically, or do you mean uh, uh, do you mean uh, uh, from a technical point of view, the integrity of the pipelines? Is that the question, or? Uh, why would you put uh, green hydrogen in the pipelines? So rationale or uh, techni te technical specs? The more techno-economic aspect of it. Yes, yeah, so um, this, is, this is how I'm thinking this, uh, this through. If you look at Europe, for example, 75% of the largest uh, infrastructure companies came together and they said, we're going to increase the renewable content in these pipelines from about 2 BCF to 50 BCF. Uh, in Germany, for example, and other places, you're already seeing dedicated hydrogen pipelines being explored at this time. The, that, they the totally make sense to me. Yes. And the final point I'd make over here is, you know, if you're talking about 100% hydrogen flowing through the pipelines, the, the, the bill to the end customer is quite significant, the change in the bill. But when you're talking about 5% type of blend or 2% blend, and by the way, that's a huge opportunity, even at 2% for the hydrogen industry. The, the end impact to the customers is not as significant as, it, uh, uh, as one would think, because it's still 98% of the same price and 2% uh, is the renewable content. And frankly speaking, I think uh, it's needed. Okay, I, I, I will take that as a new takeaway message from this podcast. Um, I am curious about one more thing. What do you think locally in Canada and globally is uh, one or two biggest deterring challenges for the electrolysis industry? 
I think the pace at which renewable electricity uh, grows, number one. And number two, uh, there's a lot of catching up. Uh, if As we get more and more renewable electricity, the cost of green hydrogen starts to make sense in all sorts of industries. And so how quickly we can grow that is very important. The second is uh, learning uh, with respect to how hydrogen can be used to decarbonize many industries. And you know, a lot of people right now, they see uh, publications on that, but getting the technical understanding of how they're going to use it will require a lot of demonstrations. So we need to make sure that we get these demonstrations up and running and make sure uh, our industry partners are fully uh, worst in uh, the use of hydrogen in the industries. Because, you know, sometimes people talk about safety concerns, for example, with hydrogen and, oh, can you even transport it? And the reality is, I mean, there's $120 billion worth of hydrogen that's being used in different processes, being transported uh, uh, for a very long period of time. So uh, there's, there's a lot of learned education that needs to happen, but through demonstrations, and then, of course, making sure there's more and more renewable electricity available to pump through these electrolyzers. Excellent. Uh, that, that's really a very interesting point to make, the learning curve. And uh, probably we are not ready right now, but I do think that it would not be a very steep curve. The industry in general is evolving really fast. And um, the future of green hydrogen is here and now, I think. Thank you so agree. much, Reveal. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Reveal, for taking this time and uh, being our guest today and turning over to our audience. I'm sure you've had several great takeaway take messages from this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe to H2 TikTok and thank you for listening in.